Hi, I'm Dora from Dora Nicolau and my drink of choice is a chai. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Michaela from Inspired Office and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Work-Life Wine Time podcast, the podcast for women in business who are looking for connection and the support of other women who are sharing the same business journey. So I'm super excited today. Sorry, I should say it's Dora here today because it could have been Gemma or Mick. Um, And I'm super excited to connect you with our guest speaker today, the famous Kate Toon. Welcome, Kate. So famous. No, I'm not. Hey, 78 episodes. That's good going. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And it's only, yeah, yeah, it's only been a couple of years. So yeah, we're doing pretty well. Good on you. Good on you. Well, I know you from being in your groups and from following you and, you know, picking up your book last week and meeting you in person again. Um, but introduce yourself. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I guess in my current um, regeneration, my, my 15th Doctor Who regeneration, I am an author. So I'm the author of a book called Six Figures in School Hours, How to Run a Successful Business and Still Be a Good Parent. I had to read that off the cover because I forgot. It's been a long day. So right now I'm I'm wearing my author hat, uh, but um, when I'm not wearing that, I am a digital educator. So I have a range of courses, resources, templates, events, memberships, and all manner of jiggery pokery teaching people how to write copy grapple google and use digital marketing oh that was so beautifully said i love it um well we were just straight jump straight in you we've already mentioned your book and yet your cover about running a business um a successful business and still being a good parent now you know as a parent you know i struggle with this tell tell our listeners about parenting and Managing that beautiful parent guilt. Yes. I mean, when I went to the publisher with the idea, a couple of the publishers were like, I don't really think this is a thing. I don't really think this is a book. And I'm like, it's so a book. Do you realize that this is the biggest thing for most parents who have a business, like worrying about the guilt and if they're doing the right thing and if they're spending too much time on their business or too much time with their kids or you know, just feeling continuously like you're doing a dreadful job of both, you know, like, and I felt that I had some perspective to offer on that, acknowledging, you know, my privilege, you know, middle-class white woman in Australia with one kid. Um, my my lot is a lot easier than a lot of other people's, but still, even even in that situation, I struggle massively. So if I'm struggling with my relatively easy life, I can't imagine, well, I can imagine how much single parents are suffering, people with lots of children, blended family, families, you know, people who are right at the start of their business, struggling with, you know, look at the environment at the moment, the econo- economy is terrible, right? So I just felt it was an important book to write and I had a perspective to offer and yeah, and here we are, it's done, it's out in, in a very short space of time. So how have you managed your your guilt like how how have you juggled? How have you done the juggle? I mean, it's the million dollar question. I think guilt is separate to the juggle, right? So I think sorting your mindset out is really important. You can have productivity tips up the gazoo, but if you're still feeling guilty, it doesn't really help. So 
for my mindset stuff, I really had to sit down and work out what I thought was a good parent, not what society thinks is a good parent, but what I think is a good parent um, or how I wanted to parent my son. And then what I thought would be a successful business, you know, what does success mean to me? And then I had to look at those two lists and go, which of these are in conflict with each other? So like a perfect example is I value highly reading to my son each night, or I did when he was younger. That's important to me, right? It might not be important to every parent. You might value highly playing sport with your kids. I don't give a crap about sport, but books are important to me. But I can't do that if I am on Zoom calls every night at six o'clock with people in Europe or whatever, right? So I have to pick one or the other. I can't have both. Otherwise, I'm just going to feel like I'm doing a terrible job of the Zoom call. And then I'm sitting all the way through the Zoom call thinking about my son. So it's things like that, choices. And then I think the other thing is really the acceptance that it's okay to want to have a business, not just for money, but for self-determination, for your own sense of self-worth, for connection, for creativity, for all those things that make us feel like humans because being a parent is pretty thankless. You know, there's very few people, the kids don't turn around, well, they might say once in a while, thanks, mum. But generally they just take, 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 take as they should, right? That's what it's about. Um, and so you need a little bit of something for yourself and that's okay. So it's, it was a lot to do with mindset, the parent guilt. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is about what does it mean for us? And, you know, society puts so many pressures on us. Yeah, and we put pressures on ourselves, you know, like we put ourselves out there to be criticised, you know, go into a mum's group and say, oh, gosh, this happened today and 20 mums will be supportive and two will be damning and it's the two that you listen to. And then we're watching all these shows on telly about great mums. We've got movies from our, you know, our childhood playing in our head. We've got our own parents. Either they were great parents and we're trying to emulate them or they were terrible parents and we're trying to make up for their inefficiencies. Um it, there's so many factors and and something I talk about in the book, which I think was, was interesting to me, it may not be interesting to anybody else, but, you know, up until about even the 1950s and 1960s, parenting wasn't a verb. It wasn't a thing that people did. You didn't parent. You were a parent. It's gone from being a noun to a verb. And, you know, if we think back even like to the 1940s, 1930s, working class families, the kids were out to work. Middle class and upper class families, you saw your kid for an hour at tea time. And yet we've gone completely the other way to wanting to worry about everything our child eats, thinks, does, sees, listens to, smells, you know. So it's it's hard. We're in a weird period at the moment where we're trying to make up for hundreds of years of bad parenting all in one decade, pretty much. <laughs> That's so true. You're spot on. Um, how do you talk to your kids about your business? Have you found the the way to do it? The magic way. Well, you know what? We're, we're both copywriters, right? So you can give people hints and tips, but you know what's even better is if you actually give them stuff to say. So in the book, I actually wrote some scripts, um, for think for questions that your kids ask, like, mum, why are you always on your phone? You know, and there's a little script in there that pretty much says, you know, this is my this is my work tool. You know, if I was a builder, I'd be standing with a spade. If I was a bus driver, I'd be driving a bus. I use my phone to connect with my customers, to make money, to communicate. And that's that's how I make my money. I mean, obviously, we don't admit that actually we're just doom scrolling on Instagram, but you know, <laughs> that you don't just go. Because I'm using my phone and that's what I do. 
you know, you try and help them understand, you know, that that is actually a tool that you're using for work. But also you acknowledge, I think, a little bit like, you know what, you're right. I have been on my phone a bit too much. How about I stop in half an hour and we do something together? You know, and you you kind of have try and have those conversations. Now, this is dream. You're kind of if you could see her now, Dora's kind of laughing a little bit because in reality, you know, in the midst of the moment, you're probably not going to have that book to hand and that script to, to kind of pull out. But it is about normalizing working at home. It's about normalizing your kids seeing you on a laptop and doing that. One of the things I think is super important is, you know, you see a policewoman walking down the street. Like it's pretty obvious they're a policewoman, but you see you in your pajamas on the on the sofa tapping away an email. It doesn't look like work. It's not what kids have been taught work looks like, but it is just as valid. So you have to make that comparison. I think. Yeah, you're so right. And I wasn't laughing at you. I was kind of like, "Yep, she's absolutely right. <laughs> totally." It's need a to challenging one. It to them. <laughs> and don't make this the big thing. I think for me is don't make your business the enemy make it part of your family so all too often we're like I'm working now don't bother me I'm shutting the door I'll see you at whatever don't bother mummy I'm on the phone or like I work to make money to buy you things you know and therefore the kid feels like guilty resentful so you know trying not to set up too many barriers and it's really hard right you want to shut your door you know but a shut door is such an invitation for a kid to want to knock on it an open door is less enticing they come in, you're doing something boring. They walk back out again. A shut door makes me desperately want to see what's happening on the other side of it, right? <laughs> so, and you know, being realistic, if your kid's under three or four, you're probably going to get 20 minutes at a time. If they're in the house, there is no way you're getting an hour. So why even imagine that you ever would? You know, you put the TV show on, you think, oh, they're going to be good for 20, 30 minutes. No, they're not. They're not. The kid's got an attention span of like a goldfish. They'll be knocking on you in six minutes. So trying not to make business the enemy, I think, is really important. And instead making business a member of the family, a fun member of the family, getting your kids involved as much as you can, as much as is reasonable and not making it like this horrible thing that takes you away from them. Yeah, that's very sound advice. I'm going to go to that page in the book and read the script. Yeah, you have a look. (laughs) As business owners, we feel like there's never enough hours in the day. Um, why is that? And do you have any tips on how to over- overcome this, I don't know, vicious cycle that we get stuck in? Mm, I think the important thing to realise is you're 100% right. There aren't enough hours in the day. That's a really, I could just stop there. There aren't because you're, most of us are completely overambitious with what we set ourselves to do each day. And we view our working life day by day, which is ridiculous. We should at least do it week by week or month by month because any given day could be completely screwed up by your kids. One of them sick, the school is shut, whatever. So if you set yourself up with a daily cycle, you're setting yourself up for torture every single day. If you set yourself up to achieve tasks over the week and you acknowledge that you likely will have one day a week, generally it's one day a week, let's be honest, where things don't go to plan then you're not continually setting yourself up for failure. I have a whole little grid and exercise in the book where I say, look, acknowledge that you're dropping your kid off, you're picking them up, you think you've got six hours, you don't. What about driving time? What about popping into Coles and getting the shopping? What about coming in and thinking, I'll just stack the dishwasher? Then you go for a wee and on the way to have a wee, you make a cup of tea, then you check the fridge. 
then the dishwasher's finished so you unstack it and you come back to your desk and every single time you're going a loop of what was I doing again let me just check my email let me just check my socials you know so we have most people when they really look at it maybe have a, if you're a working parent with kids at school which is you know if you've got them at daycare or they're younger then you've got even less if you're a working parent with kids in school I find on average you have about 15 real hours a week and yet most of us have come from full-time employment and we set a schedule as if we have 38 hours a week. So we are never going to win. And the sooner that we realize that we only have 15, the better we'll be. You are so spot on. I've just had, I've just had <laughs> one of those very moments. It's like, yeah, she's so right. And at one stage I thought, does she have a camera in my house watching me? <laughs> well this is because I always used to be like imagine if I could just have one one week where I could work a full day imagine the things I could a- achieve um and the truth is that's a never going to happen because something always comes along but b I do have 38 hours they're just not in the same week so I just have to manage my expectations of myself and appreciate that to be honest when you're kids are like I'd say pretty much zero to nine life is not you're not going to work like a normal person it does get easier I think when they're 10 11 12 and now my son's 14 and I have a massive amount of time to work way more than I actually want do you know what I mean <laughs> I'm like I just want you to sit and play Lego with me and now he doesn't want to so it's such an irony isn't it um so patience is is a huge thing for me persistence so keeping going even when it feels like it's not worth it and patience have been the two kind of foundations of of everything I've done. Just accepting that I won't get it all done this week, maybe not even this month or this year, but I will get it done. That's awesome. Um, Let's talk about making money in our business. And I know we've talked mm-hmm. a bit about mindset, Um, but how have you worked out a pathway to a profitable business and what, what does a I don't know. What does a more profitable business even look like? Well, I mean, I think the title of the book is a bit ironic, Six Figures in School Hours, because a lot of people tout six figures, but when you really drill down to it, that was just revenue. You know, it's very, you know, it's not very easy. It's relatively easy to make 100 grand if you're working all year. But if you're spending 78,000 of that to make it, then you've, you know, being realistic about what is actually your take home, you know, is six figures your your revenue is it your before or after tax is it your gross profit your net profit what is it you know is it 100 grand or is it 999 grand do you know what I mean like there's a big six figures is pretty broad so I don't really give a crap about the total amount that you bring in where you know you could in it's about the profit margin and that's you know the difference between what you spend and what you earn and I think that's best represented as a percentage you know you can have two products both selling for $200, but one costs $150 to make and one costs 50, you know? So you want to go with the more profitable one. So I'm all about profit margin and understanding, are you making a decent profit margin? It's easier in a way if you're an e-commerce store to do that because you've got clear costs, you know, it costs you this much to make the thing, this much to warehouse the thing, this much to ship the thing. It's a bit harder if you're a service provider but as a service provider, you need to do the math of I've got 15 hours a week. I want to make 10 grand a month. Therefore, I need to be charging myself out at $180 an hour or whatever it may be. Right. And then you look at your hours and you go, is this $180 an hour work? No, 
I'm I'm dicking about on Canva and I'm not even that good with Canva. I could pay someone $20 <laughs> to do this. You know, it makes you value your time. Your time is an investment. So I don't think you can talk about money without talking about time. And I think it's all about being as lean as you can be. I do see a lot of new business owners getting excited about the trappings of a business. Oh, I want a business card. Oh, I want a brand strategy. Oh, I want a style guide. I want to go to this retreat, to this conference, to this event. You don't need any of those things. You can have them, but they are a luxury. You know, for the first three years of my business, I don't think I left the house. I don't think I put a bra on. Was that amazing? Was that a great way to live? No. But you know what I did in those first three years? I made some money. I managed to get some security. I managed to kind of keep going and not be stressed and have, you know, be able to pay for things. Did that mean that my personal development, my sexy stuff was a bit further away? Yes. But when it came to it, I could genuinely afford it and justify it. So I keep giving really long answers, Dora. I'm sorry. I'm on a bit of a soapbox, but you know. No, I love it. And it's perfect. <laughs> I'm just having so many light bulb moments. I'm like taking notes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to write that. You've got to read the book, man. It's all in the book. I know. <laughs> I like it out. I did start. So I started as okay. soon as I got it. I got on the train and I sat there and I started reading. So I have started. Yeah. I just it's funny though, isn't it? Because I I, I it's, it sounds very egotistical, but I actually listened to a bit of my book on Audible today. And I actually found, because I love to read, but I did find listening to it while I was walking along, it kind of went in more. And I do find that sometimes with books, you know, because my attention span to sit and read. If I'm doing it in bed, I tend to fall asleep. And then I'll be honest, I find it very hard to justify sitting down and picking up a book at any other part of the day because I feel like I should be doing something. You know what I mean? It's a weird one, isn't it? No, and I totally agree. And I can read a novel at night before I go to bed. Like I can read. Can't a read a business pages. book. Business, yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, I do have it, it sets on your my brain desk, off. Though. It sets your brain off, doesn't it? To kind of go, oh God, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. Or you're like, I should be making notes because I'm going to forget this in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> I've started to have my breakfast, try and have actually sit down and eat breakfast, which I mean, sounds normal, but I don't usually do that. I have a coffee and I run around, sit down, eat breakfast and just try and read five pages of a book. Um, not my own, because that'd be weird. Yeah. But I've got a couple of business <laughs> books that are just there in the kitchen. I don't move them and no one else is allowed to move them. And each day I just try and read five pages, which, again, doesn't sound much, but it's all I can do. And over the course of a month, I will finish the book, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. It's doable. My... I like it. It's I like doable. it. Too. Yep, I'm <laughs> going to take it from my desk to the kitchen table. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. read it with my breakfast. That's a great idea. There you go. <laughs> um, so we get caught up in working, creating, consuming, buying all the tools. You know, you know, mm. making money, implementing new ideas, and you know, and and burnout can happen. How do you recognize those signs of burnout, and how do you head it off at the pass? I think. With time, you get better and better at knowing yourself. I've, I mean, I've got a little chapter on this. I don't think I ever burn out, but I, I smelt the whiff of the burnout, if you know what I mean. I was not was not far off. Um, I think it's so many things. It's how you manifest stress in your body. Like for me, I feel my heart start to race. I start to get quite snappy and irritable. I drop things a lot and I trip a lot. Um we all have different things, right? And sometimes that's hormonal for me. I'm a, you know, I'm a woman. Men have hormones too, I think. Uh, so it's worse at certain times of the month. It's definitely worse when I'm sleep deprived. So, you know, for the first like six years of having a kid, you know, 
So being better at having a sense of self, I think this is really sounds really woo woo, but for a long time I was just me. And now I feel I'm me, myself, and I. Like I am able to sit and observe myself and go, oh, look at you getting all the reacting to that. You know, like you're on your phone in the morning and you see something and it makes you feel quite enraged. You know, like, well, why have they written that? It's really annoying. Why am I feeling enraged today? Yesterday I would have read that and felt nothing. Okay, today's a funny day. Maybe I need to watch myself a little bit today. Maybe I need to be a bit kinder to myself today and not push myself. So I think it's about that. I think it's about being self-aware and not just slamming yourself every day. Again, patience. I used to just be like, whatever I do, I sit at my desk and I work. However I feel, even if I'm ill, even if I'm this, I'm just going to work. I'm going to work because that's what you do. If you want to succeed, you work hard, which is true to a degree. But there are some days when you know that you could spend six hours and you're going to achieve 20 minutes of work and you're probably better off just stepping away and, and having the confidence to know that you will come back tomorrow feeling much better and probably do a better job. Uh, again, long answer, but it's that self-awareness I think is the key to burnout and recognizing the signs ahead of time rather than after it's happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, I can relate to the stepping away and having a break because sometimes you you're writing and writing and writing and it's like, oh, that's a bit flat. That's a bit ordinary. And you just need to go for a 20-minute walk and you come back and you kind it's, of see things in a different light because you've had a break from it. It does. It feels like the worst thing that I can't possibly – I'm already late. How exactly. can I possibly step away? And yet it works. And yet we know every time that it makes us feel better. And especially with something like copywriting because it's it's literally draining our battery at three times the rate of, of another task. Like if you're doing a bit of Excel spreadsheet, it wouldn't be making you feel the same way. I feel like copywriting is almost like drawing out your own soul onto the page. Even if you're writing about bloody taps or something, it's a very energy draining task. And, you know, we talk about this in the group, don't we? Like most of the copywriters in the group can write for maybe three to four hours a day, max, absolute max. They can do other things. They can do their bookkeeping and social media, but they can only write for three to four hours a day because after that, they're just worn out. And that seems to be true across the board. So it's also about light and shade in your day. Like don't have a day where you've set yourself up to do eight hours of writing. It won't work. You know, try and maybe have an easy morning and then a bit of writing and then something else. You know, are you great first thing in the morning? Great. Do your hardest work then. I'm an early bird. I'm crap after three o'clock. So I gear my day to do the hardest stuff at the beginning of the day. So knowing yourself, it's really about knowing yourself and recognizing what makes you tick and what makes you crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say the day that I realized that you can only write three to four hours a day. Isn't that a relief? Oh my goodness. It was just like, oh, my whole world made sense. It was like, that's why I can't sit there and write, you know, like, you know, all these things. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And also everyone else validating that because you're like, am I weird? Is everyone else writing? Is everyone else able to do eight hours a day every day? And then when everyone goes, no, 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 I'm the same as you. It's like, I'm not a weirdo. I mean, I am a weirdo, but not in that respect, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. Now, I'm going to, when we met last week at the book launch, um, you talked about how you wrote your book. And I'm sorry, there's a helicopter from all times to go fly. Can't hear it. Can't hear it. Okay, (laughs) great. 
how did you t- tell us about how you wrote your book and and what you actually did? Because yeah. it blew my mind. <laughs> well, look, I had a bit of a plan, and I, you know, I, I write about this in the book, right? I'm not much of a goal setter, but I am a planner, and you know, they say something like every one hour you spend planning is, you know, save ten hours doing. So I did to get the book published. I had to submit a pitch which had like an intro, a chapter written, and then a structure for the book, right? So I, I'd already made that decision to structure it into five sec- sections and to have chapters about this, that, and the other. That's as far as I went with the planning. Like I didn't bullet point out each chapter. I kind of probably should have done. Uh, but instead, I free I free wrote. If anyone's ever done the morning pages, you kind of the idea is you just sit and you write and you write until you've done three pages. And then you stop. And it doesn't matter if you sit there writing, I am writing, I am writing, I am writing. You don't stop. So I kind of took that approach. I would sit down, I'd say I've got to write 3000 words and I will write until I've written them. Uh, And sometimes, you know, when you're writing, you don't have the perfect phrase in your head or you just can't think of that adjective. But rather than stop and go look for the adjective or the fact, I'd write something like fact here about 16th century childhood adjective here can't think you know I just do that right um I also wrote sometimes in white font on a white background so I couldn't see what I'm writing and the other thing is I never read what I wrote the day before the next day um and on top of that my other strategy was that once I'd finished 3,000 words I sent them away straight away no matter how bad they were I sent them away to my first readers who were my mum and dad but if you were doing this it could just be a friend or someone and they, they took a quick scoot through them, fixed typos, popped in some suggestions for adjectives, cleaned it up. And then what I would do is once I'd done that 3,000 words, if it was the next day, the next hour, I would look over the chapter that I wrote yesterday and tidy it up a bit more. Do you see what I mean? And then I'd send it to a different reader. So it kind of became like this layer, new chapter here. Chapter from yesterday gets reviewed. Chapter from two days ago gets reviewed. Sent out, sent out, sent out. So it was all layering over the top of each other. Um, so yeah, that that's how I did it. It's a bit of project management, a bit of free writing, and permission not to edit my own work as I wrote it. I love it. The white on white stuck yeah. with me. And I was thinking about it on the train. I was like, that is so good. Because it's not my tip. I must admit, I've shared that a lot and it's not mine. Um, A guy called Bill Harper shared it at CopyCon in 2018, but it's not even his tip. It's someone else's tip, but it's light bulby, isn't it? Because as a writer or even as a not, actually, I think it's worse if you're a non-writer. You are constantly going back and reading the sentence you just wrote and going, oh, that's not quite right. Yeah. You know, I don't quite like it. Can I let me have a go at that? And then you spend a whole three hours just writing two sentences trying to get them perfect so yeah it was layered there were gaps and then you go in and fill the gaps and then you add bits in and then I had other people read it and say this whole chapter is appalling or this sentence doesn't work or you can't say that Kate and then throughout the process so by the time it got to the publisher it had been read by five different people and I'd done five rounds of edits and then I got it proofread um, and then I sent it to the publisher and then the publisher kind of didn't really edit I thought they would and really edit they didn't change bits or move bits they took out a whole chapter it was the right decision it was a good good decision um but they more fact checked Will who is my publisher editor was very good at saying you've used this analogy before you've talked about hippos six times 
can we think of a different animal? And I was like, have I? And I'm like, yeah, because he's reading it in a flow. Remember, I've read it in bits. So I might make this, I'd made the same joke about three times. He's like, this joke isn't wasn't even funny the first time. I'm like, oh God. So <laughs> he was really good at that, checking facts, checking quotes, making sure dates were correct, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of work goes into it. There's a lot yeah. of people, it's a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Mm. I love I loved listening to you talk about how you wrote it. It's really I don't know it's inspirational. It gives people, I don't know, hope that we can write books as well. So yeah, yeah, of course you can. I think everyone's got at least one good book in them. That's the cliche, isn't it? But I think really we've probably got two or three. But there's a a meme I shared very early on, and it's something like ninety nine of of a hundred people who've got an idea for a book, you know, it's something like ninety percent will start it. 50% will finish it or something. I don't know. It gets smaller and smaller. It's like 3% will get it to a publisher and 1% will publish. Those aren't the right statistics, but it gives you an idea. The number of books I've started and not finished. So the finishing was a big deal. But really, as you know, Dora, that is not the end of the road. The real hard bit is the marketing. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Mm. Um, Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, website, Instagram, Facebook. Look, thank you so much for having me on. It's very easy to find me because I used to be an SEO. I kind of still am. So if you type Kate Tune into Google, you will find something to do with me. The book is called Six Figures in School Hours. And uh, I've got the domain for that. Well done, me. Uh, so you can <laughs> go there as well. Um, but yeah, thank you. It's, it's, it's enjoyable talking about this little kind of creature that I've created. You know, it seems very bizarre to last November to have thought of the idea and now it's July and I'm sitting here on a podcast talking about it. So thank you for the opportunity. That's okay. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been so lovely to talk about, you know, parenting business and, you know, because so many parents out there are running businesses and yes. Struggling. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Well, you're five minutes, five minutes at breakfast tomorrow, Dora. I expect to see a picture on Instagram of you reading a book. (laughs) I'm going to check in. We all are, right? We're all going to check. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in, Kate. And Thanks, uh, we'll Laura. chat soon. We will. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.